broadcasting from the campus of Lynn Benton Community College. We are the Mid-Valley STEM CTE Hub. I'm your host, Casey, and this, this is Closing the Gap. All right, everyone, welcome back to Closing the Gap. On this episode, we have Deb Mumhill. She is the director of Oregon STEM. Hey, Deb. Hey, Casey. Great to be here today. Thank you for having me. Thanks. Uh, Can you please tell the audience a little bit about yourself and the type of work that you do? Absolutely. So Oregon STEM, it's a newly formed nonprofit that supports the 13 statewide STEM hubs. Uh, And we focus on advocacy, strategic leadership, and resource development for the hubs. We're an outside, but kind of alongside partnership. So like, what is the purpose of this work? Like, what is the mission of Oregon STEM? Mm -hmm. Oregon STEM's mission uh, is pretty much aligns to what the hubs missions are as well. They all have a little bit of a different tweak to them, but ours is pretty tight and succinct. It says Oregon STEM's mission is to promote equitable access preschool through college. We call that P320 to STEM opportunities across Oregon. So Oregon STEM, again, is an advocacy and a strategic leadership organization. It's really the hubs. They're the the ones who do all of the work. They are located in their regions. They're the ones who are bringing collaboration and programming um, to their people. So they're the ones who really are doing that, that touch point advocacy preschool through college. Why is this type of work important? So why should people be paying attention to the STEM hubs? Yeah, good question. Um, By focusing on ensuring and ensuring just quality STEM education to all students really makes it an equity strategy. You know, equity in education is helping every student kind of know themselves, know the opportunities that that are out there and know the pathways to get there. And so um, it's really about voice and choice. It's about knowing your own natural abilities and capabilities and interest and kind of and tying them together. So kind of connecting the dots for students. So that's why it's really important. Um, We know we can always check, there's always uh, jobs data out there, economic data, and we know that the fastest growing jobs that are coming our way and that are currently with us and coming our way require some level of STEM proficiency. And we know STEM jobs are also high wage jobs. So that's where that equity piece comes in. So as hubs are these creating these collaborative networks of educators and business partners and affiliates that inspire um, interest in science, technology, engineering, and math. And I wanna take it right now and so much more that STEM just isn't the S-T-E-M. It's really, uh, it's a mindset. It's project-based learning, it's innovation, it's risk-taking, it's being okay to fail, to have persistence, to lean in and try again. STEM is so much more than just the subject matter. But the hubs are that collective network, again, of educators, business partners, affiliates, they're bringing everybody together. And to the end of the day, to generate a robust workforce of related professionals in each regional community so that all the tech workforce doesn't need to come out of the Seattle's or the Portland's or the San Francisco's, that we can create these really innovative workforce communities in every county across the state. That's really the goal of what we're doing. Hubs are leading that moment, that movement. Uh, they're really, it's really fascinating in Oregon right now. They're adopting this 
assessment the districts are called U Science. And so it's an assessment for middle schoolers, high schools, uh, schoolers to kind of um, assess what are their natural skills and abilities, and then it connects it to career interests. So I think it's really exciting that the hubs are leading with student voice and choice right now. We realize that not every student maybe wants to choose or pursue a STEM career, but we want to focus on ensuring that every student has the opportunity for equitable prosperity if they do choose that pathway. For sure. I think also um, STEM education is great for people that are even considering taking more of like a liberal arts approach to a career uh, because it seems like the way of the future, everything's going digital. Everything is on a computer, even if you want to be an artist and get paid for it you can use some STEM education to make that happen. I'm so glad you said that. We're thinking along. We're right now figuring out the metrics we want to measure. And right now, the way that we measure STEM is in degree programs. And I think we need to be looking so much broader than that. So say you, I mean, my examples I've been using is, say you uh, have a communications degree and you choose then to make uh, to, to take a job with a, a local hospital and be in public health and public health communications. Is that a STEM degree? I mean, we're not there. It's part of the STEM economy. What if you're a social worker and you're going to go work for um, and address some of the the mental health short staff shortages that we need um, and the services that we need within the mental health field as a social worker? We don't uh, count social workers as STEM graduates, but they're totally part of the STEM economy. So it's been a really fascinating question that we've kind of been mulling around in the last 30 days of I think we've defined STEM too way too narrowly. Um, I do think when we use the word STEM, a lot of students don't identify or they self-select out because they haven't had really great experiences with science and math. And so how do we flip the whole way that we start thinking and talking about STEM um, at so many different levels? The the way we're talking about it is kind of that equity piece, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, seeing yourself coming into the space um, and, and considering yourself a STEM worker so you don't have to have a computer science or engineering or um, medical degree to be considered a STEM worker. It is so much broader than that. And when we look at these, the job growth trajectory and the graphic designer, the arts, data science, you know, egg, people working in egg have to have proficiency in STEM knowledge. Doesn't mean they have to have a degree, but those uh, those combines, John Deere tractors out there, they have 200, 300 computer chips in them. So if we want to be, you know, help them be more um, in tune of that technology for their irrigation practice or for using herbicides or for yield of crops or whatever it is, um, you have to have STEM proficiency pretty much in anything that you do anymore. Even if you're creating videos or using technology, understanding a little bit about how like that smartphone in your pocket works is really important. Um, And then the trend towards data is uh, if we can understand data, we would actually be able to cure cancer, right? Um, if we had a computer big enough to take all of the data in and figure out you know, uh, some, some cause and, and treatments. Um, so data is gonna continue to come at us at, a, at, at an incredible rate of speed and helping everybody figure out how to use data science for geospatial mapping, for understanding what's happening around us, uh, for social justice reasons, whatever it is that you wanna use that data for, just having an aptitude for how do you take it digest it, um, and, and make sense of it. So, um, you kind of touched on this in your previous answers, but I kind of wanted to know a little bit more about how the 13 STEM hubs were created and like, what's, 
things were identified that were like, oh, we need to change this educational landscape in Oregon and implement this, the system that the STEM hubs are putting into action? Yeah, great question. Um, Well, I started in robotics back in 2007. And when I was going down to Salem to have conversations, STEM, I'd say STEM, they'd say, ask, oh, stem cell research. And I'd be like, no, science, technology. So that was 2007. Um, You could say STEM up in Olympia uh, and with Microsoft in their back door, they knew exactly what it was. So we just had a, a little bit of catching up to do. So um, we started to pass. The other thing that was happening at that time was um, robotics clubs were seen as a like a chess club and a teacher was being paid a $150 stipend for running a robotics team. When in fact, they should have been making $6,000, the same as the varsity football coach or basketball coach, because it was 200 hours during a very short season. Um, and so how do you get uh, acknowledgement for these after school programs that also need a wage or a stipend for these teachers? So we actually went down to Salem and we passed the STEM access, the STEM Student Access and Success Act. And we were so excited. Uh, first time I never hired a lobbyist who was doing this work and we passed legislation, but there's no money behind it. And I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> Like we're breaking out the champagne and there was no money behind it. So we got a little smarter the second time um, and we brought some more partners into that conversation and we passed the STEM. Um, it was a, a, I don't remember the house bill, but we basically set up a STEM industry advisory board because where we saw a real need in our Oregon schools, and this goes all the way back to 2010, 11, 12, was to connect education to career and then to also help educators and all students understand what STEM is, the technology, the innovation, everything that was coming our way and the opportunities that were there. And so you can't just build a workforce out of college degree programs, you have to start in elementary school and middle school and high school and build up to that. And so um, it was really the STEM hubs came out of the work of helping broaden out the understanding across Oregon of what STEM means to the workforce and the emerging jobs. And we were, you know, we have educators who are preparing students for jobs that we that don't even exist yet. So how do we step into that work? So STEM hubs is where was one of the, um, we still have a STEM investment council, but STEM hubs was one of the um, implementation strategies that we had. So um, they started eight years ago, um, going ground to 13 across the state, and they're ensuring that every county has a hub or access to a hub. So basically they've had a couple different approaches. Um, they're a little bit you know, I think hubs are, are the connective tissue in a community. So that's like a four-legged table. One of those legs is they create these collaborative networks of educators, business partners, which is your industry partners, your affiliates, which is your, um, uh, your, your community-based organizations that are running after-school programs. Now we're really uh, leveraging CBOs that are uh, serving hugs, our historically underrepresented groups and those students and bringing um, programming to them. So that's really exciting. And then donors, you know, money to pay for some of these, especially after-school or out-of-school programs. And basically all that work is just to inspire interest in these careers. Um, so that we can generate a really robust workforce of related professionals in regional communities that we're building our own um, uh, community of 
a workforce, no matter if they're rural or urban. And of course, we all know we were doing this work before COVID, you know, ever was even on the landscape. And now we know the beauty of remote work. So you can live a lot of times anywhere, anywhere in the world, anywhere in the state and still work for some really amazing companies because of the technology advancement in technology. And now this completely new shift in the, the culture of work. So um, the hub's superpower, they're regionally responsive. We couldn't have done this work just out of Salem. Basically, we needed people on the ground, building relationships, building partnerships, um, figuring out how this collaboration of empowerment for communities to really forge their future into the and build these regional ecosystems was needed. And that was the crux of how these STEM hubs were established. Awesome. So eight years is a long time. Then and now, what what are some what's some evidence? What are we seeing coming out of schools now or, you know, in the community, students having access um, to some of the programming that the STEM hubs are putting out? What, so what's the word? What are we seeing? <laughs> well, it's really fascinating. I just got off a call before here about data, the metric, like what's our North Star metric and what really measures success in this work? You know, it's mm-hmm. It's, it's a collective responsibility. Um, but we're definitely seeing that there is much broader awareness around um, STEM careers and the emerging of these new careers and what we need to be doing P20, preschool, all the way through college to prepare these students. And, and basically not only to prepare them, to inspire them, to help them say, is this of interest to you? And if it is, Let's unleash them to then understand, you know, what courses should they be taking? What what experiences should they be seeking out to as, you know, having this pathway and this vision for where they want to go? I believe if we can give every student a career aspiration, then they lean into the academic interest, right? So they'll lean in a little bit harder, maybe a, a math class or something that they weren't uh, as interested in before. Um, they'll think about a C, uh, career tech education course that they maybe didn't think about uh, taking or an after-school extracurricular activity. So they'll career um, aspiration, then comes that academic, you know, kind of interest and then motivational resilience to really stick with it. I think we've built this culture of let's take the easiest courses we can in high school because we need a high grade point to get into the university. Maybe we want to get to, or there's a complete disconnect from the educational system thinking if I'm not going to go to college, do my grades really matter? I want to go right into the workforce. Well, guess what? Where you're going to get economic empowerment and mobility is that grades don't always matter. Grades have never been an indicator of of success, right, per se in the workforce, maybe to get that degree, but not in your your career trajectory. But um, being innovative, being a a critical thinker who can creatively come up with a solution to whether it's a, a, a problem in your community or a job that you have in front of you or an idea where you want to bring a job to fruition, that's where we're really leaning into is trying to build the resiliency Um, and the proficiency in certain areas of STEM um, that will build these robust communities. For sure. So I can imagine that with all this time and all these hubs working together or separately, um, that they've probably come up with some pretty cool programming. Mm -hmm. And I was wondering if there are any programs you'd like to highlight that specifically stand out to you that our listeners, educators, parents mostly, you know, would like to know about and get in on. Yeah, I didn't answer you for your previous question fully, Casey. I just realized that. So um, the hubs do a couple of different things in the evidence base. So I'm going to just step back to that for a second if I can. Sure. Um, so Teacher PD, 
So bringing different ways to, be, to to teach some of this subject matter is what hubs have been tasked with in a really engaging way. So project-based learning is, is one of the modalities, you know, really going into creating safe spaces for students to fail in their project to kind of iterate. That's where the, the design thinking and the human-centered design that builds that that. Um, that innovation kind of DNA within you. So PD, teacher PD is something that has been really a core of the hub's work. Um, but they've also really worked hard to help connect education to careers. So they've created um, different systems to bring industry professionals into the classroom. So whether they're supporting the educator or actually working directly with the students, that's another piece um, that they've been really strong in. And then again, I think I said earlier that they're advocating for project-based learning, creating hands-on opportunities. Um, where you really get to then develop what we're calling Oregon essential skills, those critical thinking, collaboration, communication, creativity, confidence and belief in self, all those great C outcomes that you see um, is comes out of project-based learning. So some of the programming that they're doing um, is the uh, they receive innovation grants that the STEM Investment Council asks for. Uh, state budget for, and then they identify some of the different areas of partnership with Oregon Department of Education of what we need to be focusing on. So one of them is computer science and digital literacy. Uh, the governor awarded um, $5 million for computer science with her uh, mandate to expand computer science learning to girls and students historically underrepresented in, in computer science. So the hubs just received that money in September. So they've been really working hard with their partners to bring digital literacy and computer science opportunities, learning opportunities out into their regions. Um, lots of STEM Beyond Schools, there's the Rural STEM Leadership Network, there's student chief science officers in their schools. And um, honestly, I don't know all of the programs because I sit up here at this advocacy mm -hmm. policy kind of level, um, but I know they have, I, I couldn't even do justice to the 13 STEM hubs and all the work they're doing, but um, um, you can go to our website and click on the hubs and you'll be able to find programming aspects that they have offered through their what's on their websites. For sure. Yeah. I, you know, you mentioned the computer science, digital literacy, and I, that's one that particularly excites me because it's learning to speak the computer language is like learning to speak any other language and bringing it to young minds is like teaching them a whole nother language from such an early age that it's like, they can't help but be into STEM because they speak the language. By the time they yeah. get to like a college level, they're like, they could do anything. Yes. There's been some really amazing professors. Uh, one who was working in Yamhill County uh, in third grade, basically teaching coding as a coloring project. Right. So imagine if we started with coding and binary and color and then it becomes a foreign language option. Um mm -hmm go forward, you know, to, to hit that requirement. I mean, just imagine if we could figure out how to get into digital literacy and computer literacy. Totally. We'd, we'd be a different, a different uh, nation if we could really, really build those, those foundational skills like we do with, with math and, and English and other subject matter. Totally. Um, there was a really great camp that we did uh, up here at the Mid Valley STEM CT hub the last two um, summers, and it was coding with uh, drones and dancing and we have this gentleman his name is Daryl Thomas and he is from Western Oregon University uh -huh. and um, he came in and he had drones and he taught the students how to fly these drones and code them in a way that would like mirror their dance mm -hmm. as they were as they were going so they would dance alongside of each other and then 
they would code like a light vest and like a light up like led mask and so they would be like flashing lights and dancing and it was so much fun to watch but the students had so much fun doing it too yeah (laughs) just (laughs) yeah inspiration and experience right you know right totally It's it's great learning is play, right? If we could make all learning play, uh, you know, we'd have a, we'd have 150% engagement. So you're not only the executive director of uh, Oregon STEM, you're also the co-founder of South Metro Salem STEM Partnership. (laughs) This is a mouthful. (laughs) (laughs) It is. There's a lot to cover, like the South Metro and then picking up Salem. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Um, can you talk a little bit about starting a STEM hub from square one, like kind of the origin story of, you know, the STEM hub? Yeah. So I was back, I, I, um, was launching first the robotics programs, first robotics, uh, starting in 2007. So this was around 2010, 11, 12, 13. Um, so we had passed the student access and success act, set up the STEM advisory council to the governor, which then started funding with these STEM hubs. So finding the money was first, right. And then, mm-hmm. um, Portland, uh, Portland state university was one of the first ones to, to kind of grab that opportunity, you know, Intel was a great partner with them. So it was Dr. Bill Becker and his staff who was, was going to look at, uh, full school transformation, looking to make schools STEM schools, which is just, you know, an amazing, amazing strategy and approach, especially when you have Washington County um, as part of your area, because then you're right there in, you know, in Intel's backyard. So they were starting down that path. And um, I was working with Lita Culligan, who was vice president of industry affairs and policy for Oregon Institute of Technology. She was one of the key people at Oregon Tech who launched the Wilsonville campus. And so we were sitting uh, next to each other in those meetings uh, that they were running about this new STEM hub in Portland Metro. And uh, we just we just were, became kindred spirits saying we need to do this, but we need to do this also outside of the metro area. So, you know, we went down I-5 just a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, uh, she was, uh, Lita was very um, focused on um, Oregon Tech and getting that launched and building an ecosystem and a network around that campus in Wilsonville. I'd been building the robotics team since 2007, and I was begging for computer science courses. I was begging for a screwdriver or a fill anything in the schools. You know, we had, we were building robots in lunchrooms and in libraries. We had no access to tools. We were oh, wow. um, Zooming back then. It wasn't even Zoom. What was the platform? It was like Zoom, though. Uh, like Skype, maybe? From, yeah, from Microsoft, way up in Seattle, down into Oregon to teach basic coding and how to get your robot to root, move in, in autonomous mode. So I was getting very, very scrappy about how are we going to build more um, resource for these students to learn these skills that they need to, to reach the career aspirations that they have. And so um, we, Lita Culligan and I got together and we started talking and we just saw a need to establish that collective impact partnership. So we weren't going to go the PD model. We were going to go more of the career connected learning model. So it was just a little bit different model than Portland Metro. And, um, and we signed, I think it was like 28 MOUs between industry um, the community college, PCC community college in that area. And then with, I think we had 14 school superintendents come in. So it was really just grassroots collective impact partnership, bringing people together saying, how can, what's, what's going to work here? 
and getting the superintendents to come in. And then eventually some of their, back then they were STEM TOSAs. Now we have CTE coordinators, but the STEM TOSAs to come in and talk to industry and just to build partnership. And one of the things that not only launching that, that hub, um, and South Metro Salem STEM does have a, uh, has an executive director and then it has a director of career connected learning. So that has always been really big in their DNA is um, Oregon Connections, which is a software platform that connects educators to industry professionals. So can bring those people into your classroom. So that was another one of the things that came out of South Metro. So still um, a little bit different model than just really focused on school, full school transformation. Uh, South Metro does do teacher PD, but they also have a really strong career connected learning are, um, uh, veined into their, uh, their work as well. Wow, that's great. Yeah, I've been working um, with Mid Valley for a while, and it's kind of interesting hearing about all of this um, yeah. and learning about things like Oregon Connections, where it's like, oh, yeah, I've known about it, but I didn't know how it started. So that's really cool. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I think, well, Lita Culligan was Governor Kulingowski's workforce uh, advisor. So she had that vision for the connection early on, and she just was trying to get it off the ground. So this was the South Metro was the perfect platform for her to build that out more fully. Excellent. Yeah. So how did you start into STEM and your career and your education? Because you were talking about leading robotics teams. Yeah, well, I am an Iowa girl, uh, University of Iowa. I have a business administration degree with a focus in marketing. Go figure from the 80s, right? 1980s, 70s, and 80s. That's how old I am. <laughs> Um, but my world was only so big, right? My first job was in New York City. I didn't even know it. Wall Street. I'm like, Wall Street? Like, what's Wall Street? Because <laughs> back in <laughs> 1982, they didn't really have computers yet. So I'm a, I'm a walking, um, living experience of your world is only as big as your zip code uh, can show you. So um, fast forward a little bit. Uh, I started in, uh, in nonprofits 26 years ago in 1996. And I've always just been in youth development. It's been my love from doing programming in a women and children's shelter in inner city, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and figuring out oh, how nice. to really just um, work with those kids and love on those kids and help them believe and see a path forward, even though they were in a really tough situation. Um, was hard work back in 1996. And then it always, I've just stayed in that youth development, uh, that youth development vein. Um, you know, and then I came into first robotics. So we moved out here from Wisconsin. My son, uh, we actually chose uh, Wilsonville High School because there was only seven robotics team and all of them were down in around Hewlett Packard in Corvallis area because he was having such a hard time recruiting people up to Corvallis from, um, from California. Cause they're saying, wait, the weather, there's not even a target, you know, in Corvallis, what, what? it's like cost of living. And then usually when you move for a job, you bring your family with you. So it was Sam Angelos at Hewlett Packard who had the vision to start all the robotics teams at seven high schools around Corvallis, Albany, that whole area, Philomath, that whole area, because then he could attract the talent out of California to Corvallis. And then little old Wilsonville had a robotics team. So um, my oldest son uh, joined the robotics team and uh, having just come from Wisconsin to Oregon, and I signed up to be the lunch mom because I had zero expertise to offer a robotics team. And it's a marketing degree, right? And a business degree. So uh, one of the coaches asked if I'd help with team fundraising. And I said, sure. And I'll tell you, I never raised a dollar for that team, but I taught the students 
how to ask industry to invest in their future workforce. And those kids have since raised hundreds of thousands of dollars because this is a win-win model, right? If we invest, if industry invests in STEM education experiences, they have the ability to influence and build their workforce. And then robotics, it wasn't about the robot, it was an industry mentoring program. So better than their money was getting their industry people to show up at these high schools or middle schools on weekends for six weeks in a row or after school and helping these kids understand technology and how to build a robot. It was meatball engineering, but it was gosh darn fun. And, you know, these kids, uh, they started, they, the experience was so beyond them. It was like if somebody came to you and said, hey, in five weeks, you're going to run a marathon where you're going to run 23 miles and you're going, you know, yeah, I, thanks, but I just don't think that's for me. Not really interested. And we would bring them in. Um, we had kids again who we like Philip screwdriver, like a what? You know, we were raising a generation of kids who've never touched a tool because at that time in Oregon, we had stripped out a lot of our CTE programs. Right. And so even figuring out tools and how to, to work tools and then um, bringing physics concepts to life like, you know, they they don't care about coefficient of friction. But if your robot's going to run up a ramp faster during a competition because every second counts to get up to that top ramp you're gonna dig into coefficient of friction or gear ratios or whatever it was, that rigor in the classroom all of a sudden became really relevant um, through this program. So uh, that's how I got into it. And I just started working with the most amazing students. Students are my energy. They will always be my energy source. And at the end of the day, I don't do this honestly for, for big industry. I do it as an equity strategy so that every child has the ability to, to lean in and have these experiences and then to pursue them afterwards. If you know, pursue whatever their, their love is afterwards and show them pathways and opportunities to get there. But um, working with the industry people, working with the students, working with the educators, it was just so much fun. Um, and through that work is where I really got to build my network. You know, everybody talks about your network and I can be really obnoxious and name drop, but I got to meet Bill Gates. You know, I got to meet, nice. meet um, the Bezoses and, you know, every CEO showed up. Uh, Sergey Brin, Larry Page, uh, co-founders of Google would be with us at our world competition. Steve Wozniak, co-founder with Steve Jobs of Apple. We, we wow. called them the Wolves. So, but it wasn't just me. They would just sit and hang out with these kids and say, why'd you build your robot that way? You know, just got to meet the world through this pro that program. And that network then allowed me to be able to be kind of a come up at, at a level where I'm not just doing programming, but looking at policy and influence and strategies. And it takes money and fundraising and investment to bring these uh, kind of programs to life. So that's my story is uh, business major, marketing major from Iowa, youth development all the way into STEM. And uh, it's been so fun. That's awesome. It sounds like, I mean, I got two big things out of that. First of all, with like being able to teach them skills to go out and ask for what they need. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like, you know, like teaching you know someone how to fish rather than giving them a fish kind of adage, you know, Yes. which I, I think is super important to be able to like negotiate or just be like, um, hey, this is what I need. Can someone help me? Uh, if no one asks, or if you don't ask, like no one knows that you need it. But exactly. also that, yeah, it sounds like these programs were also like supplementing um, holes in the Oregon education system at the time. 
Right. It was just kind of, you know, we've been doing and manufacturing. I'm not saying that we haven't had CTE, but we've had kind of these these industry clusters where we were kind of pushing students into certain industry clusters. Mm-hmm. But um, and that that just comes out of the Industrial Revolution. Right. How do we get the K-12 system to build our future workforce? Well, things have really moved and changed, you know, and I worked at a university and um, and you know, graphic designer professors who didn't know what UX UI design was just because they'd been out of industry for 15, 20 years, amazing teachers, right? But Mm -hmm. how do we continue at at all levels um, to connect the dots of why your education and career um, need to thread together? So that was just, we needed a little bit of lift of that in Oregon, um, specifically to STEM and innovation and high tech at the time and now since we've had this global pandemic you know healthcare huge stem field we haven't spent a lot of time in healthcare and we need all 507 we have, you know we have a very untapped talent pool we have 575,000 kids in Oregon in K12 that is our talent pool so what are we going to do with that you know and if we know we need workers or you know people in these healthcare fields or these innovation or these climate science or as we're trying to roll out electric vehicles and the infrastructure around that let's start connecting the dots early on and i guarantee you um, those dots are going to stick you're going to find students who didn't even know what their opportunities were and they're going to start to lean in have an interest have a passion and it's so much easier if you connect the dots earlier rather than trying to find that talent later Totally. I think these things are great also because there's something for people in STEM, even if they're not interested in pursuing like a four-year degree or beyond, because you can get into a lot of CTE programs at like your local community college that are like still like those high paying jobs. And I think it also opens up, you know, STEM is more for everyone than just people that are interested in being a university student. Yeah. Communication, graphic design, what we talked about earlier, any degree any degree journalism mm-hmm. you know all has mm-hmm. a stem component to it journalists because you got you know you should you should have journalism with a data science minor you know mm-hmm. i i subscribe to the new york times and i get it online and i just love their data analytics department at the new york times it's fascinating and it just gives such cred to their reporting um because it's based on you know it's based on on data factual data I mean, I even think we're talking about infrastructure too. Uh, things like non-destructive testing, like maybe things that you know people wouldn't necessarily think are of like STEM or um, high pain or uh, just uh, blue collar work too can also be STEM. I guess is what I'm saying. Oh yes, absolutely. Oh yeah, construct all of that exactly. Um, we're in, when in this infrastructure bill, it's going to be really fascinating to see how Oregon partners and helps roll that out because a huge shift in our culture is driving two hours and stopping for an hour to charge your vehicle. I mean, we're used to five minutes at the gas pump, right? So we need charging stations all over Oregon in these remote areas. And people don't always remember that 58% of Oregon is public lands. So where do they put these charging stations? So they're already looking, um, I was in Washington DC in March and uh, with an AmeriCorps program and everybody who the infrastructure bill had just passed. So they're looking to put charging stations on public lands where we then need to build playgrounds and Wi-Fi networks so people can stop and work, um, hiking trails so that families, all of a sudden we're shifting a huge culture to get out of your car for an hour and to go for a hike through these public lands. So AmeriCorps, you know, the there's a, we had the CCC, so the Civilian uh, 
Conservation Corps, uh, Biden has renamed them the Civilian Climate Corps. And so how are we going to get those students over 10 months to go out and build experiences around these charging stations? So you're not just sitting in a Walmart parking lot. You're in a public land experience um, in rural Oregon, rural Washington. Huge, huge shift. And gosh, wouldn't it be great if we could connect the dots where the CTE students are designing a playground and welding it and fabricating it. And those students who are like doing the hiking trails or looking at the wetlands, maybe they're in like some of the, the forestry you know, CTE classes. How do we just keep connecting the dots around what we need to be doing in America? And shifting to uh, electric vehicles is, is huge because it's going to really help support our, some of our climate crises. That's fascinating. So you uh, have had like a lot of positions, it seems, that you're like founder, you're a coordinator, things like that. And they're all jobs, it seems, or careers, it seems, uh, that involve a lot of organization and involve a lot of coordinating efforts and, and bringing all the things around to create something. So someone is listening and they want to have a career similar to yours, utilizing all those skill sets. What advice can you give them so that they can be the best coordinator or founder or director that they could be? Ah, oh, that's a oh, that's a big question, Casey. Because <laughs> remember, I'm old. I've had a lot of lived experience um, in there. And if you look at my LinkedIn, I have I've had a lot of different positions. Um, so I'm a builder of youth programs that lead to opportunity at my core. That is my passion. And I think knowing where your energy comes from, you know, whether it's social justice, whether it's climate, whether it's innovating and creating, whether it's taking care and helping other people, you know, what you have to kind of find what your core is. And mine just happens to be building youth programs. Um, I'm also a believer that you are at your best when you work from your natural strengths. So nine years ago, when I was at a university, I was the director of student success. Um, we had so many students coming into a private university who did not know what they wanted to get a degree in. They just wanted to help people. You know, they just mm -hmm. wanted real altruistic. I'm like, this is going to be expensive, real, really expensive to try to find yourself because we want to get you out in four years and we don't want to have to change majors and go into a fifth or sixth year at a private university. So we started pulling some things together. Um, some people like Myers-Briggs, some people like the DISC program, uh, files, the Enneagram. I fell in love with StrengthsFinder. It's Gallup out of Omaha. It's Omaha. It's uh, assessment. And when I took my first StrengthsFinder, a light bulb went on because it started to define me. Um, my five top strengths are defined why I loved some jobs and why mm -hmm. I just didn't enjoy. And I love to work, but why there were some jobs that I've had throughout my career that were just like smiling and dialing for temporary accounting services um, just drained me every day that I had to go to that job because consistency <laughs> is my 34th strength. Um, and that's why when I look back going, that, that was the same spiel and and dialing all day long so that's what that's where my strength wasn't coming from so knowing your strengths um my strengths are strategic activator futurist ideation and then my fifth switches woo if i'm raising money or passing policy maximizer <laughs> if i'm doing systems work um and it's really great because uh strengths will only strengths finder has 34 that they've put a lot of research and data behind and they only tell you your top five because otherwise as humans we focus on fixing our weaknesses rather than boldly living into our strengths and there's data that says if you're using what are your natural talents and abilities you are something like 28% happier in your work, 25% more productive, all these things they can put data to. So 
my advice is find your strengths, kind of know what your passion is. Do you want to work with animals, with humans, with, with Nate, you know, do you want to be inside, outside? Do you want to work for profit, non-for-profit? Kind of spend some time thinking about who you are and then take those assessments, whether it's Enneagram, whether it's strengths, whether it's Myers-Briggs, um, disc profiles, whatever is going to help kind of help you understand what, who you are, what your your natural abilities and talents are and how you can use them. Um, so on my strategic, I'm just going to give you a quick example because this happened last week. So, um, uh, well, first, let me just read you the definition of strategic from strengths. It says, when faced with a problem, people with strategic talents are able to quickly find alternative ways to proceed. So we see barriers, we know, we figure out how we're going to work around them. Uh, strategic people are creative, innovative, unrelenting in the projects you work on, determining the most efficient and best way to move forward. So just last week, somebody referred to me as, oh, they found out that we were working together and they said, boy, that Deb, she's a bulldog. <laughs> uh, when it comes to finding resources, you know, and and uh, for youth, uh, which is, you know, to have amazing life experiences. So some people would say a bulldog, like that's kind of, you know, offensive, but I took it as a compliment because it totally defines if I see an opportunity where we can go find resource and build, um, build programs for youth to have these amazing life experiences, I'll carry that bulldog um, persistent uh, <laughs> um, title the whole way, the whole way home awesome so what are you most proud of in your career so far uh you probably picked up that working with youth um but i mm -hmm. think probably the first robotics teams in the pacific northwest because i worked with such amazing people uh who were part of that um first uh, that community and people don't always they think robots but first is an acronym for inspiration and recognition of science and technology um Again, I think I've told you, I get my energy from, from youth and uh, I covered Oregon, Washington, Alaska. And so being oh, wow. able to bring FIRST Robotics up to the North Slope, Alaska, and if you've never experienced FIRST Lego League, which is that little third through eighth grade program, and yes, part of it is 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 learning how to do drop and drag line, you know, coding for a, a little Lego robot to track lines and do little functions, but it has a research component to it. Um, and my favorite year of Lego League was Senior Solutions. How do we help seniors stay independent and happy and connected in their own um, in their own environment? So you always had to go out and interview somebody. So you had to interview senior citizen to find out what their struggles were and what they needed help with. And then you had to create an innovation. And then you had to, to present it to a power. So whether it was to your school board, to um, your state, to your, your um, city council, but you had to present your ideas. And so they taught them how to do that. And just like the North Slope, the, the students, the elders, you know, if we, if we can bring opportunity and just projects uh, to these students of what are, you know, senior solutions, these North Slope uh, students, they were third, fourth, fifth graders, were really concerned about their elders um, getting into their community buildings during the heavy winter months because the, the stairs to get into them would ice over. It's Alaska. They would fall. They'd either break their hip or they would just not be in community during those really, really dark nights of winters in Alaska. And they wanted their elders to be part of that. So they came up and they figured out a ramp that they could kind of put over the ice and some different solutions on how to be able to get their elders into their community homes. So um, I think 
what first amazing program, amazing people, but what it taught me was the power of project-based learning. So if our kids have, they know what the issues are in their, their communities. They know that their struggles, they see them in their own lives. They see it within their community. What if, what if we moved our educational system to project-based learning where the grade isn't based on the right answer, but it's based about leaning in and showing up and having ideas and having conversations and sharing your, uh, your ideas and listening to other ideas and bringing the best ideas forward. What if we graded students on their ideas and their solutions to, to opportunities that they see within their own, um, their own school, their own families, their own communities? That's where I think, um, that's where I've seen the power of it. That's the work I'm trying to get to through Oregon STEM is really rethinking how we approach education. And rather than measuring maybe science and math scores, um, maybe we measure identity and belonging, um, you know, within these, these ideations and these awareness of opportunities in a way that you can um, have a voice and a choice and, and innovate your way through, through problems, problem solving. Totally, yeah. I mean, I really enjoy this theme of coming back to utilizing um, education in real world applications to like mm -hmm. drive the point home. I mean, because I'm if you're if you have like these theoretical problems, you know, like you have to like solve for X for some random situation that doesn't apply to you. Like it's kind of hard to like really invest your mind into that for some people. But if yeah. you're like, I really want to see my grandma over this like long Alaskan winter. I think maybe solving for X would be a little bit easier. Yes. And how do we do that? And they had to figure out slope, right? You know, linear mm -hmm. slope on a ramp over stairs in the wintertime and, and material science, you know, what can you put on it to keep it from, you know, being slippery, all of that, that it all just becomes, um, I love applied learning. I think applied learning is, is really a powerful tool. Um, and it's, uh, I know up in Washington, um, in Oregon, back when I was doing the early on, like 2010, 11, um, they had applied learning. So if you weren't successful in your algebra one, you could go into an applied learning math course. So you could take that through a healthcare or a welding or a wood shop and, you know, a, a drill press has an X, Y, and Z plane. What better way to teach linear slope rather than on a whiteboard? teach it on a drill press and have them make a coat rack, you know, um, totally. that's how you learn uh, uh, linear slope. And you saw more students stay persistent and feel, it's all about feeling confident, right? We were, we need yeah. to create these amazing little human beings because they're the ones who are going to solve all our problems and, and run this nation someday. So that's really what education is about is, is creating amazing little human beings um, I think what we just have to figure out is what's the best way to do that and to get them there. And it's about having self-confidence and, and belief in self um, is a huge piece of, of that. Not only fundamental skill development, belief in self, and then um, geography and demographics. We know those are all part of the STEM skills gap. So that's where we're not equitable, equitable is in demographics in where you're where you're uh, living geography wide and then wise and then um, post-secondary completion. Uh, it's almost becoming a privilege to get a four year degree in this country. And uh, we really have to address how we're going to stop putting a first generation of workforce um, into major debt. We, we've got to figure that one out, too. So that's for another podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that I could feel like I could talk about that one all day. Yeah, really well put. Really well put. So uh, one more time, could you let the listeners know how to get involved with Oregon STEM and their local STEM hubs? 
Yeah. So Oregon STEM is kind of this nebulous, you know, organization. <laughs> so we are Oregon-STEM.org. Feel free to go to our website. Uh, but then from there, click on the tab that says regional hubs. And that's the way they're all listed by the counties they serve. So find that tab, click on that hub. Um, and that's where you're going to find all the amazing work and how to get involved, whether you're an educator, whether you're an industry person listening to this wonderful podcast, um, or if you're family and students to get involved. And if you don't see something on there, they don't list everything they have going on on their website, is shoot them an email and say, hey, um, I heard about you, want to know how to get involved. And um, and be an advocate with us. You know, the schools have gone through a lot lately, and we want the schools to really lean in to this new way of thinking and teaching. Um, we want to push on that a little bit. And so get connected with your STEM hub, and uh, because there's nothing more important than a student or parent or caregiver voice within the school saying, have we thought about this, or we want to bring these type of opportunities to um, all children in our school. So they can be... Uh, allies in the work that we're doing as well. Awesome. Deb, well, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate your time and everything you shared with us. Thank you. It's been really fun, Casey. Thanks for the opportunity to have the conversation today. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Closing the Gap. If you like this show, subscribe on Spotify. You can also find us on Instagram at MVSTEMCTE, on Twitter at MidValleySTEM, and online at midvalleystem.org. Until next time, keep progressing.